Hello and welcome to another episode of Cloud Security Podcast. This week, our guest was Dan Papandrea, or more popularly known as Dan Pop Papandrea, based on his podcast. I'll put his podcast name in the show notes so you can check it out. What I first realized in the first few moments of talking to Dan, he is so passionate about making security open source and encouraging everyone in cybersecurity to get into the open source bandwagon. And I do mean it in the nicest way possible because we are realizing as a community, a lot of teams in IT are moving towards coding. And this is probably one of the first steps in it. The topic that I've had Dan speak about was around threat detection and response in Kubernetes real time. If you've been keeping tab on the study hall and also the couple of episodes or three episodes we've done on the Kubernetes month so far, you would have realized us being humans, there is a possibility for us to be able to still screw up something which is completely perfect. And hence the reason there is drift detection and then there are threats that are identified in a live running Kubernetes environment in production, possibly with access to 3000 developers at the same time. So you can understand the scale of some of these possible risks that can come in. Falco is something that Dan helps manage. He is one of the contributors as well. And he also worked for the parent company that created Falco, Sysdig. So he was on the show talking about how to do threat detection and response. Why in the first place there is a drift when it is supposed to, and I say it, I mean Kubernetes is supposed to be a state machine. So you tell it a state, it maintains that state. But clearly we didn't follow the instruction and we still managed to screw it up. So the episode is primarily rotating around the fact of why there is runtime threats, how do you respond to runtime threats, and what happens when you identify a threat? How do you respond to it? We went into this and a lot more, and I will definitely encourage you to check out this episode. One question that was asked by Roxanne, and I thought it's really worthwhile calling out over here, is, uh, thanks Roxanne for the question, by the way, it's really amazing, that Kubernetes, as we have gone through so many episodes, there are so many, so many uh, open source components that are plugins to Kubernetes that you almost go, how am I solving this problem at scale in any large organization? I personally know a lot of people who have moved into the container space, Kubernetes space, and my personal opinion has become that, okay, we are in a phase which was exactly the same as what cloud was in the beginning, where there was only one AWS, and then everyone else started making their own cloud. Similarly, there was only one Kubernetes, but everyone saw the gaps in Kubernetes and started creating all these plugins to support that because clearly if we see a problem, we want to solve it and it's a great thing for the community. So we have that. But what that has done is it has created this CNCF landscape is really a great example for this. It shows you how wide the space has become and how many things we talk about in the Kubernetes space. And there is not just one thing that solves all your problems. An individual in a company or a team in a company would have to create their own visualization across what their Kubernetes build looks like, which is probably the trade-off that you have to do as an open source user. Knowing that in mind is how you approach this problem that everything that you or your team would be doing for that project would primarily rotate around, say, something in the open space, so which may not have a paid version, but then that's why you probably would go for a managed Kubernetes instead of a you know, bare-bone Kubernetes. That and a lot more. So as always, if you appreciate the episode and if you love the free content we create, we would love it if you can hit the subscribe or the follow button on the podcast platform that you follow. Leave us a review or a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you follow. iTunes is probably the best one because it helps us get more guests which are popular and they see this as a validation for what we are creating over here is giving you value. So I would really appreciate if you do that. For And thank you to those who actually do that and are responding to us on LinkedIn and other places for how they are enjoying the episodes being created as well. I would also like to thank the sponsor for the season, Exonius. You'll hear an ad from them shortly and that will get into the episode. But until then, I will speak to you next episode of Study Hall midweek. And yeah, we'll try and close this strong. So you have at least walking away from Kubernetes month, you will be in a stage you're going, okay, so at least I know enough that how 
either amazing this place is or how screwed it may be. Either ways, you will at least form an opinion about Kubernetes by the end of the Kubernetes month. That's our hope, and that's what we'll continue doing. All right, I'll get into the episode, and I'll talk to you folks doing study hall this week. All right, see ya. and Cloud Security Podcast listeners. Thanks for giving Exonius the opportunity to sponsor the show. Exonius does exactly three things. By connecting to existing data sources, Exonius gives customers a comprehensive asset inventory, both cloud and on-prem. It then uncovers security apps, and finally, it automatically validates and enforces policies. Thanks again, and check us out at Exonius. Hey, Dan, thanks for coming in, man. Thanks for having me, Ashish. This is awesome. Uh, I'm a fan. I saw you with one of my buddies, Mark Manning and Magno. I mean, so like really amazing, amazing stuff you're doing. So oh, I'm dude, the, the, the pleasure is all mine. The, the pleasure is definitely all mine to come over here and make new friends online. That's the best part. I just want to get it straight into this as well, because I definitely feel a lot of people are quite keen to understand the space. So before we go into it, who is Dan and what's with the pop, man? <laughs> So my name is Dan Papandrea. So pop, like I've been called pop since I was a little kid. So I'm the uh, director of open source ecosystem and, and community for Cystic. So part of the uh, Falco project, which is uh, the CNCF incubated project for like runtime behavioral uh, monitoring analysis and detection. Prior to that, I was a field CTO with Cystic. And prior to that, I was on the OpenStack Helium project with HPE. And prior to that, I was a director of IT for software company uh, managing, you know, the network and security for an investment portfolio company called SSNC or Advent Software. That's, what, that's pretty awesome, man. So primarily you've been quite close to the open source community for some time then. That's pretty awesome to hear. Yeah, as a contributor to OpenStack prior to, to this. And that's like where I found my love of containers and the initial stages of Kubernetes was you know, being in that ecosystem. And, and I'll tell you, like, again, CNCF and, and, and Kubernetes is the greatest community in the world. And, and that's why I hope your, your listeners are keen on this from an open source perspective, like security to me, the future of security is open source, like having, like being able to detect actors and, 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 and be able to detect like things that are happening from runtime perspective, not only for in general, but be able to have this overall security posture, you need to think about open source first. Interesting. And since you're on the topic, what is Kubernetes and what does Kubernetes security mean for you? So to me, K Kubernetes is an open source container ecosystem, right? That manages, it scales it. Originally, obviously the designed by our friends at Google. So that was, you know, Borg and they've also been on, you know, shameless plug. Popcast, they've been on my show, oh, and uh, nice. uh, you know, in terms of the original Godfathers of Kubernetes. But to me, it was like, you think about that Nirvana that was OpenStack or infrastructure as a service or SaaS or platform as a service, to me, that Nirvana is found with Kubernetes. You have the ability to scale up these containers, which as you know, are these atomic units for be able to run your code in a way that's, you know, might run less than five minutes, but still have the capability for you to, you know, run your applications and all of those things. So that to me is what Kubernetes is. And then you asked about Kubernetes security. Well, guess what? Out of the box, not a lot of options for you from a Kubernetes perspective. You're not going to get the things you would expect. Like there's not going to be, you know, you know, protection from a runtime perspective. There's not going to be protection from a vulnerability management perspective. You said earlier about drift detection, all those things. You don't have those things out of the box. However, you know, there are things that are protecting you like pod security policies and those things, which are, you know, they're, there's, they're deprecated at this point, but they're moving on to different things like, you know, OPA or Caverno or other projects in the ecosystem. So to me, you know, Kubernetes security is the elements that are making up every part of this managed orchestration system. So like the underlying OSs, the nodes and all those things. So if you need a, you know, Kubernetes secure posture, you need to think about all of those elements. Interesting. So now since you're on the Kubernetes security posture, it's an open source and it's obviously not there out of the box, but why is there a need for something at a runtime? Like, I think I always thought that at least going by the previous two episodes, you've done that, oh, Kubernetes, you define something, it, its job is to maintain a state, right? I, mean, I thought that's the job. So why is it changing in runtime? Why is there a need for having something like a security runtime when it just maintains a state? So, I mean, again, you think about the reactive aspects of it. You think of this pipeline. Hey, I'm going to deploy this pod out to, you know, this orchestration system called Kubernetes on various clouds. It could be AWS, could be Google, could be my, my private cloud. 
And from that perspective, it's like, I need to protect all of those elements. I need to understand what's happening at runtime. And so if you look at it this way, hey, I've deployed XYZ application from a, maybe a secure software supply chain of some sort, God willing. And you hear that, that buzzword and, and what have you, because, but you don't have that protection. And so what I look at, and again, why I mentioned Falco, again, a CNCF incubated project, and you'll see that little logo here. There's a reason yeah. why I, I, I'm, I love this project and I love the community around it because this is a capability out of the box that allows you to tap into the kernel to be able to see all of those abnormal things that happen even after you've deployed this code. Like you said, it's managing those applications, but is it truly securing you? It really isn't. And so from this perspective, creating rule sets that say this is a deviation from what happened. Drift, like you said, hey, yeah. somebody's added an exec permission to this. Maybe I need to understand what's on. Somebody's catting the Etsy shadow on the thing. On the thing, the Cube API is touching something it shouldn't be touching. I need to know what's going on. And so from that perspective, that's the reason why you need runtime protection. Uh, so wait, would this be people who are, I guess, they find out today that they have Kubernetes in their environment and going, holy shit, this, like, this is a lot of Kubernetes clusters here. And because what we've spoken about so far has always been about, hey, you should uh, do admission controller, OPA, and all these things that you kind of define, which should, uh, the assumption is it'll make sure that you don't, you deploy a good, I guess, Kubernetes cluster, which is safe enough. But this sounds more like, what if you already have, like the Pandora's box is already open and you've gone, okay, I need to find some kind of sense to what my security or how bad is security for me in production? Would that be kind of situation where Falco would fit in? Or is it also more, if you're starting today, like how else would this be kind of fitting in? So if you think about back in the day, and I'll mention Wireshark, right? Everybody's oh, used yeah, it, yeah. TCB dump, right? You had your switches, you had your network, you know, NICs that were communicating, but you didn't know exactly what was going on. You didn't, you weren't able to filter by specific details that were going on. That to me is use case. And why I mentioned Wireshark or TCP dump, our founder, of Sysdig, that's also one of the, the original creators of Falco, right? So like there's that that lineage there. And then if you tap into these functions, I'm sure you've heard the term uh, kernel module or here here at eBPF. Yep. And I know Manning was on, he talked a little bit about that. That's true visibility because again, you have a orchestration system like Kubernetes. You're not just protecting those applications or those networks. You're protecting everything. So that means the node, the operating system uh, that's running it, the Kubernetes elements that are run of, of the control plane that's running on top of it. You may also need the, the underlying cloud provider aspects of it. You may also want to look into Kubernetes audit log to say, okay, Ashish shouldn't have been running this namespace. You shouldn't have been able to create that. I want to know what's going on and maybe I want to react to it. So the things you mentioned earlier, like OPA, OPA is a fantastic tool. And various end users are using OPA and Falco and other tools in this amazing ecosystem that we have in the CNCF to be able to have that protection. But what OPA is giving you is that like kind of almost like just a, a, a security policy kind of engine that's kind of providing you like a, a scripting language, something called Rego, that's giving you that, you know, capability to say, okay, this is what I will allow and disallow from like a pod security policy, a node security policy perspective, or, or you know, overall Kubernetes DSL. All right. And now since we're on that topic, okay, so we've found out that I, I guess there's a bit, bit of a skill conversation as well there. Okay. You need to be okay to be getting your hands dirty with the tool and everything, right? So some people may be going a bit, ooh, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll start with what are some of the common threats I need to look out for before I make a decision on going on a tool? What do you recommend as some of the low-hanging fruits people can be going for in there to, to look at drift detection if that's even a thing? I mean, look, if you go to falco.org right now and you go into the docs page, the first thing you'll see is privilege escalation. That's the number one thing. Somebody, you know, going in and if you think about drift in general, what is it? I want to be able to say like, Ashish went in here, he made himself the God and he went in and added whatever he wanted and then came out of it. So, I mean, recently the community wrote like a series of blogs called this Falco response engine, basically where we have this thing that's called Falco sidekick. And it's basically... Right. You know, it has that rule set that I told you. Like, let me explain what Falco is to everyone. Falco, oh, actually, yeah, probably a good, great place yeah. to start that. Yes, let's do that. Yeah. So basically, Falco taps into, uses system calls. So taps into something called eBPF or like the kernel module, kernel itself to get these system calls. 
And then you have a rules assertion, like rule sets, they're YAML, that you can go in and say, this is a violation of what happened. So something like, again, somebody doing a privilege escalation, you know, something like, you know, you know, mutating login uh, capabilities, somebody like execute, going into the bin, Etsy, somebody going into some of the underlying cube elements as well. And so then having it output to something like standard out, assist log, you, you know, and those types of things. Or what Falco Sidekick is from an architecture perspective is again, remember I told you their core engine, there's the rules, there's outputs. And you can send that out to this sidecar that's basically now taking this data and sending it out to something like Slack, PagerDuty, um, oh. or, or, and this is what we did with the response engine. Maybe I want to send it to Lambda to do something like take a, take a mem dump if this thing happens. And so the possibilities are endless. So here's what I'm saying to you. This is why, remember I said the power of open, the, the future of security, what security should be is incorporating open source. Because what I can do with that is now I have this capability to create a bunch of rules for whatever ails the patient. By the way, we provide 120 out of the box. So there's, you know, these are best practices built on MITRE attack framework and some other things like CVEs for, you know, from those perspectives. And then the other thing we do again is on top of that is then you can also create those functions. And that's that response engine set of logs. If you go right now to falco.org slash blog, you'll see response engine. So we have Knative as an example, and that's an engine for serverless. And so this might seem daunting to you security experts. They're like, wow, how do I get started? It's simple. Spin up a mini cube, K3S or something like this. Then all you have to do is it's a helm chart, simple one line helm chart. You run it and you have all of the elements there and you have a snazzy UI to see exactly like triggered some of these rules. It's right there. Oh. It's, it's all in that, in that blog. It'll be right there. Step-by-step. Step. You know how I know that? I had to validate all of those blogs in our working <laughs> team. Matt Magno's in here. He did some contribution as well. He's a great member of the, the community as well. So like, that's what I love about it is the community has been- Oh my God, I'll, I'll tell you this. I can definitely feel the passion that you have for open sourcing security and getting more security people like I accept open source as a new future for security. So they're definitely, I'll, I'll give you that much. And I'll, I'll, I'll also say this, that a lot of people listening and going, okay, I want to go on to, because uh, Falco is open source as well. So I, I definitely also wanted to add the fact that getting your hands dirty, people should not be afraid of getting their hands dirty in security, especially in cloud native world. And that's where people seem to be going even more. More you go into containers, Kubernetes, serverless, lambdas, that's all code. Where in a way, the security industry, at least some parts of it, has to move towards the direction of being able to code as well. So you're able to kind of create things which are specific for yourself. And, and keeping that in mind, you mentioned attack meter, and I, I know uh, Magnus spoke about this last time as well. What are some, some of the specific attacks relevant for runtime? I mean, there's a ton in terms of like, you know, privilege escalation is one, the visibility yep. aspect of it and, and those types of things. But again, like the minor attack framework, there's, there's blogs that were written on those specifically, like persistence, privilege escalation, credential access, discovery, lateral movement. But the beauty of this, and I know there's a new iteration of MITRE, the beauty of this is because the, the rule set, the Falco syntax rule set is based on this really easy, you know, syntax for a DSL, each YAML, right? You can go in and update and say, okay, this should be, you know, I need you to always look at slash Etsy slash bin or whatever the thing needs to be. And so you can update those rules. So again, the, re the proactive aspect of this, right? If a CVE comes out and there was one recently for cube API, right? And we're able to like create rule sets all based on con contribution from the community. So this is the whole point of this. Security people need to know from an open source perspective, they don't have to depend on a closed source company for them to adjust to these external hackers that every single day are attacking every single element of not only Kubernetes, but also underlying nodes, underlying clouds, S3 buckets. Uh, you know what I mean? All of that, that whole posture needs to be protected. And yep. I believe Falco as a rule set is the best out there. And I, I, and there's a reason at where I'm at right now is because I strongly believe in it. That's pretty awesome, man. I was trying to, I was trying to think of like, oh my God, you have so, you're so passionate about this. Like it comes through so, uh, so well as well. A lot of people, and 
I want to flip this around a bit more as well because we've kind of spoke about threats. We kind of spoke about okay, Falco can help me run time, do runtime security. What about what's an ideal production environment like? I'm thinking more for like from a threat detection. Okay, I've realized today that there's basically tons of Kubernetes in my I guess my environment, and I'm trying to go okay. How do I do threat detection and maybe in forensic or like how do I set that up? What's an ideal scenario for us to start? Is someone looking at this today and going, okay, I don't know where this is a lot of information. Uh, yeah. Clearly, Dan seems to be like knowing a lot about this as well. And this really passionate about Falco, but I'm going to take a step back. And how do I, like, what's my first step? I'm going to, everybody watching this right now, okay? There's not one tool or one open source, like, project out there that's going to resolve all these things. You have to think about it from the full life cycle. You have to think of it underlying nodes. You hear about, you know, CIS benchmarks. You need to ensure that those things are addressed from either the node level or the Kubernetes level. That's first. Vulnerability management. You need to ensure that in your pipelines, you're scanning. You might use things like there's Trivi out there, very good tool, right? Anchor is another one. And so like, again, don't think that one of these tools is going to be more. There's commercial tools that I, honestly, they have like, you know, the breadth of the, of the solution from, a, from that perspective, but you need to think of the overall posture. Then there's the runtime. Falco and forensic postmortem, you can use that, but then also dumping that in some type of SIM or using the cloud providers, you know, the AWSs of the world, you know, GKEs, OpenShift, right? Another one. If you think of like, you know, OpenShift recently with OpenShift Plus, right? They're using something called StackRocks. StackRocks actually is using the underlying Falco libs to be able to do some of that, you know, pro pro progression of, of detail. So I think, again, my advice to you all is don't think one solution fits them all. Be open to, you know, there's commercial tools, obviously, that do all this, but be open to if you're going to put these things together, there's not one tool that does all of them. What I think would be ideal for your listeners, take a look at the CNCF. It's basically the CKS, it's the Certified Kubernetes Security Test, because that shows you how to protect the you know, Kubernetes from all of those elements. And all the projects that are used are part of the testing, and it's a practical test. So wishy-washy way of answering your question, Ashish, because, but I just think, again, if there's one soundbite I want you all to listen to. There's not one product or project that's going to do all of it that is based on open source that doesn't, you know, you need to think of that overall posture. Oh my God. But I, I'm 100% with you on that one. I think also worthwhile calling out, they probably need to start looking for skills in the team, which can do uh, some of this task as well. Because do you feel there's a skill gap for this as well in the whole container security, Kubernetes security in that space? Do you feel there's a skill gap as well? So I would say this, and there's two parts of this too. I think the developer has to also understand how to be secure out of the box. It's like, and that's the other thing is it's more of the, the knowledge gap between like understanding like what's out there. So a developer all and an operator also has to understand this and might not have a security background, right? So they, you know, they're not looking at this, like they don't look at this, like it's, oh, I got to do anti antivirus and I'm just going to put an antivirus in my container <laughs> and that just makes me secure, right? <laughs> I've worked with like large, you know, again, when my pre previous life, when I was a field CTO, I've worked with large investment banks, healthcare, pharmas, all of those types of things. There's every single customer or end user I went to was completely different. There might've been where the developers were so savvy that they may have included, okay, this is how we're protecting X, Y, Z. Or they have, you know, a DevSecOps team that's doing this. Or the best ones that I've seen integrate this. They don't have the security team here, the developer here, the operators here. It's all integrated. When we do a build, we're integrating security into our overall workflow. And if they don't do that, they suffer. Because what happens? External actor comes in because guess what? You have all of those holes, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. There's the cloud, there's the nodes running on cloud, there's the control plane elements on it, there's the applications. All of those things need to be protected. All of them. But wait, just on the cloud one, do you feel there's a, a, a drastic difference between, say, like a managed version, where if, you, if someone was to use, look at runtime in a managed Kubernetes versus like a non-managed Kubernetes? Is that, would there be a dramatic difference between, or considering it's, platform agnostic, I guess, quote unquote, unquote, it wouldn't make a difference. It'd be the same thing. So <clears throat> cloud providers will already, you know, if you look at like 
GKE, for instance, you know, they have auto updating nodes, right? That are, and I think EKS has a similar convention as well, but so like, basically it's, if a certain thing that you need to patch the underlying container, you know, host and all of those things, that's fine. But you still, as a cloud provider is not going to, you know, have, you know, doing that. They might have services that are doing like vulnerability management to a certain degree, but there's not nothing stringing all of those things together. Right. And then from a runtime perspective, you know, a lot of these tools are looking at things like Falco. Like I know, like, you know, Falco is looked at to be integrated in some of the, you know, things that are happening out there already. And so it's just a matter of, you know, looking at this more of, do I need to build a platform for this or incorporate some of the managed, you know, uh, services here? I can understand why somebody's like, you know what, just spin this up in EKS. Why do I have to manage a bunch of EC2 hosts running Kubernetes? And then I have to look at this and, and address this. And this is why, again, you need to have that overall workflow because you need to use the CIS benchmarks and you need to, you know, do the vulnerability management versus, okay, maybe I can just put this in ECR or GCR, have it do that level of scanning. Yeah, That's only going to do like non-operating system and not full, like full scanning and all of those things. So it's still, there's a gap there. So if you have a savvy team, it's like, hey, I'm going to do this and I can do this for less cost. Or if I'm just want to get spun up, I might use Kubernetes. And you're going to ask me this question next, I'm sure. You're going to ask me, well, what do I need Kubernetes for all use cases? And my, you know, <laughs> right? I was, yeah. I, and, and my thing is, look, and I say this, it's my Tywin Lannister. If you all remember Game of Thrones, there's a tool yeah. for every task and there's a task for every tool. If your application is a simple, you know, stateless application, uh, run that in Fargate, run that in Cloud Run. It doesn't matter. Get the job done. If you're looking at a scalable infrastructure, if you're looking at a managed infrastructure that is, you know, has best of breed, that is a control plane that could run anywhere and there's no lock-in, think about spinning your own Kubernetes. But I can tell you right now, do not, Look at this like Kubernetes. I need, I need to get my application of Kubernetes to get it. No, think about your architecture and say, I do I need it? Maybe. And Alex Ellis out there wrote, wrote a really amazing, it was a, I think it was a blog he wrote about like, do I need Kubernetes? And so you got to wow. ask yourself, you know, do, do you really need it? And, and I, look, look, I'm a contributor to Kubernetes, right? Like I'm not, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. Not, I don't want to, I'm not saying my baby is ugly. I'm just saying, look at your end goals and figure out, is this right for you? Interesting. I, I I love it, man. I think we've been talking about threat detection. I also want to get your perspective. I get heated, Ashish. I love this stuff, man. This is good I know. stuff. I, know. Like, I can already see you're pumped about this, man. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, from a response perspective and forensic perspective, like I think it looks like most of the conversation that we're having around this seems to be a lot of focus on there's no permanent IP. Like There's a lot of things that are ephemeral. And going, oh great, okay. So, what does response look like? So, we kind of we spend some time in detection. Like, what what kind of responses are we talking on a Kubernetes space? Like, so I love the passion that you have for Falco. I've taken Falco, I've deployed it, and now, all right, great. I've realized one of my Kubernetes clusters is probably compromised, or something. Like, I know what 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 are some of the examples of forensics and probably uh, response that you've seen in the community for this? That I would love for you to share some of those examples as well. I'm going to use the obvious one and that's the crypto miners. All right. There's mm -hmm. an example that we've had in the past where somebody was coming in, there was a, you know, a honeypot and addressing, and they were, it, this was where somebody actually contributed a brand new set of rules based on that attribute, you know, attribution. So the, having to be able to like, look at that and say, okay, this is how they were get able to get in. They were able to use, you know, the, the specific strata protocol to come in and be able to like, you know, take, take a look at that. And that was one where, again, somebody contributed that rule back. And so since everybody benefited from it, that's first and foremost, oh. it's, it's the sharing of rules that address those things. And then also it's the, okay, using think tools beyond just Falco, gatekeeper, OPA, pod security policies to be able to say slap done out. In the response engine blogs, I, to I told you about a second, we have something where if something's detected, it kills the, kills the pod. Guess what? Kubernetes is resilient. Everything is going to still be up. So if that aspect's compromised within, within the daemon set that's deployed, that person gets kicked out. Those things would just go back to whatever the code that's there. And so then you go back and you say, okay, 
Now I need to make sure my code is not vulnerable. Oh, so that's vulnerability right. management, right? So if I'm, again, the scenario you mentioned earlier, it's just somebody goes in, yeah, goes into that pod and is terminaled into the pod and is going in and looks in the Etsy shadow and doing the thing they do, try to drop their things in there. If yeah. they try to do that, a Falco is going to find it immediately at the speed of assist call and then run that function I told you about earlier using sidecar, getting, knocking them the hell out. Okay. Oh, oh so, wow. I love it because there's the, the unique aspect which you dropped in there. It's probably worthwhile repeating the whole aspect that it maintains the state. So even if you kill a port, as long as the code is not changed, it would just redeploy the same thing, but in a clean way. And it would just take out whoever the bad guy, bad person was in there. At the node level, right? Now let's think about yeah. it at, at the node level. And this is again yeah. where, look, being able to have that level of detection you can automate this or, you know, you can use downstream. Again, there's a lot of commercial tools that are out there. There's things like Aqua, Sysdig, right? That have that built-in capability that like address, you know, the same thing as Falco could do is notify your SIM. And if you see these signals, then what do you do? You take that action, right? And then you are all the wiser for then yep. putting policies in place, OPA policies, yep. vulnerability management policies, Falco rules. Because you, I mean, again, remember the thing I mentioned earlier, not one of these tools are not going to do all of it. Yep. And I love the passion. Uh, and I do want to take some, a few moments to talk about your podcast as well and get into a bit more about what you talk about in your podcast and what got you started in podcasting. I think we've kind of touched on the whole threat detection and response in a runtime kind of possibility for communities and how people can use that to be part of the entire flow and not just one component of runtime. So I love that passion as well that you have. I, I did want to introduce people to your podcast as well and take an opportunity to go. What got you started with the podcast? First question. Let's start with that first. I've got a lot, I've got a lot of questions about the podcast. So I saw you started yours and I'm like, I had to keep up with this guy. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. So, you know, I was like, I was visiting a lot of end users and customers. And I just like, you know, my thing is I loved seeing how different people did their thing meaning like hey you know you're going to you know uh, i don't know a gaming company and they're like wow this is how we're deploying and then you go to the next customer it's a completely different way of for them to do it so i'm in my house i'm in my basement right here and i'm like i got some friends in the community i just like to do a podcast just to interview and have some fun and so like it just blew up and the way that i look at it and so it's called the popcast if you follow us at twitter at popcast pop we're on it's a it's an audio and video as well so it's you know the various things like apple and spotify and it's basically the people behind the code so i've had you know the godfathers and godmother of kubernetes i've had liz rice on who's you know you know she's a very cool person one of my good friends i've had just a ton of people and and it's all based on again it's not so much you know we talk technically we can get in the weeds when we have to as you know we did here but yep. i look at this more of there's the people the humans that make this community great i want those stories out there and we've had a hell of a, an amazing time with it. i just i love it and it's it's my passion and i'm sure it's the same thing as you you never thought you'd be you're like do it as now it's just like <laughs> I love it. Like I, I I'm consistent now where like I'm, I'm a, an episode behind you, buddy. But, uh, <laughs> Don't worry, man. Yeah. It's not a competition, but by the tell you with the three episodes, which are audio only. So it's not even on the website. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it's technically for, but no, no, it's not competition. It's funny. Uh, last December, I had like two cybersecurity podcast hosts come in. And what I realized, uh, was that there are actually not that many cybersecurity podcasts as well, but then. I met, I saw your podcast. I'm like, actually, there's how many are cloud native? I actually don't know of that many, unless, I mean, there's a Kubernetes podcast and how many are cloud native? And I don't know if people know this, but you're a CNCF ambassador. So what does that really mean? And for, I mean, I guess in case people haven't seen the previous episode, what is CNCF as well? It's the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And so the CNCF itself is basically this governing overseeing kind of aspect that basically looks at all these projects out there, incubator projects like Prometheus and Kubernetes and gives us this governing aspect, gives it marketing, gives it capabilities. They put on something called KubeCon every year and cloud native mm -hmm. con. It's where like, and again, it's one of the best communities in the world. If you remember, like, you know, I, I was part of the OpenStack community, you know, we're all part of like VMUGs or, you know, those types of things. This is a little more different. It's very inclusive. It's diverse. You know, I have friends 
like I said, Magno. And so it, that's yeah. the beauty of the community is doing these things and, and being able to, you know, there's people that are, that are brilliant out there, but they're also so giving with their time to tell you about things. So I'll give you an example. Like before I got into, you know, the first couple of years I was at Cystic, you know, we were having to manage Mesosphere and Kubernetes and Docker data center and to be able to deploy to all the various customers out there. And then Kubernetes ended up being like the de facto. And so that's when I started contributing to it and all that. I sent Joe Beta, Godfather. I was like, how do you do this business on Twitter? I had a response within five minutes, within five minutes. Why did we do this thing with like health checks? I was like, well, you know, can you explain what the idea was behind it? And it's just, but it's always from that spot forward. You know, regardless of podcast, regardless of what I'm in there, all of these projects I am in love with. I love seeing Prometheus. I love seeing Cloud Custodian. I love seeing all these new projects because it makes it better for everybody, everybody to be able to contribute and do things. And so CNCF ambassador. So basically it's talking about, you know, projects with, you know, being at meetups, being able to talk about intelligently, not only about the projects that you're involved in, I'm involved with obviously Falco, right? So it's basically all also about all of the various projects out there. And also like, you know, as a CNCF ambassador, it's, we're also looking to bring in folks for them to understand, like you said, like Ashish, like, I want you to understand this, to talk to your listeners about security. And when you have that question, they're like, Hey, Papa, you know, I really want to understand how to do Falco rules, or I really want to understand how to use Prometheus for some of the security goals I want to, or maybe Elasticsearch, but I'm building my own SIM. I don't want yep. you to feel like, or any of your listeners to feel like they can't ask anybody in our community, join our tag security group and CNCF Slack, ask those questions. You all will be all the better. You'll make this community even better than all the communities out there that we've had. And that's what I believe a good CNCF ambassador does. That's pretty awesome. Uh, by the way, I've got a question from Roxanne here. She's, she's, oh, she's, she's been a long time listener. So her question is, there are too many tools and policy engines, OPA, Gatekeeper, Cubebench, Falco. Oh my God, you're so right, Roxanne. How could all of these be managed at scale in big enterprise with a diverse number of dev teams? Roxanne, you're absolutely right. There's a ton, but all of those things can maybe give you false positives. And it takes the team to understand what each of those tools do, because each of those tools do a different thing. You mm -hmm. think about QBench, QBench is doing CIS benchmarking. If you think about Falco or runtime, drift prevention is part of any of any tool that's out there. All of those things that are out there, this is where you need some type of collective backend that's going to dither through that data and say, what is a false positive and what's not? And I can tell you, if a vendor tells you they, they can give you all of that in one spell group, <laughs> they're bullshitting you. And I can tell you that right now. So Roxanne, you have an absolute point. I think it's getting better, but also I'm going to swing it back to you. Go back and contribute to these projects and say, these are signals that really do matter. We're fortunate from the Falco perspective is we did, you know, folks contributing from that perspective. That's 120 rules are the rules we saw mapped to MITRE attack framework, things that were happening in the world. Like I said, the crypto jacking example, some of the CVE things that are out there, you're going to benefit from there. But I agree, there is a lot of signals. But there's also organizations are doing things. Every organization does things very much differently. So you're going to have to f figure out what are the signals that matter to you. I, I feel like uh, just to Roxanne's point, because I, I think it's a great question, because that's been a common theme with a lot of conversations that I'm having as well. There's so many tools. And like, I think cloud, this is kind of where cloud was in the beginning stages where great, we have AWS only. So you just do some CIS benchmark in, in, there was no one consolidating it when it started scaling out. There was no one consolidating it. And so, suddenly I, I, you feel like, oh my God, there's like so much happening in the cloud. And suddenly someone was able to pick up, I guess, that gap and give a visibility layer right across it. And I feel like Kubernetes is at that stage where we're still, even though it's been there for four or five years, just been growing exponentially, it still hasn't reached that stage where a lot of people have had enough pain points shared that someone's going, you know what? I'm going to make something and just give it out there. I, I feel that's just, that's missing. And this could be the standard that as a security field, we're still like, oh, wow, this, this, this caught up really quickly. We need to do something about it. They're just having that realization now. That's the thing. Like you said, it's like, if you think about like, if I was when back in the day, when a director of IT and I'm looking at all the signals, I would have to look at it from, oh, the windows host perspective, the Linux host perspective. 
And and so I, I agree with you. Again, there's a lot a lot of signals. I mean, she didn't even mention Caverno. Caverno's another like you know policy oh, agent out there, right? I mean, there's a lot of them out there, and I I do agree. But I I will tell you this, and this is something I think the Kubernetes security group that's not specific to tag security, but the Kubernetes SIG security, right. they're looking all all of this and trying to look for ways to ensure that like okay, there's there all of the underlying components are as safe as possible. So that's the first part of this. But yeah, I mean, look, there are a ton of policy engines as part of those tools, but I do believe that, you know, you're ultimately always going to need some type of SIM or some type of machine, not learning, I don't want to use that term, but like some type of user-based intervention for the things that are happening. Right. And and I think for, for um, hopefully that gave you some light on for the answer, I guess, Sorksan. But we definitely need to have a conversation about this a lot longer. We definitely need to be as a, talking a lot more about this as a community, that there's definitely gaps that need to be filled. More people need to contribute. And I'm, I'm going to switch gears here. Uh, we've been talking about, the, we spoke about your podcast as well. And we spoke about, I guess, how threat can be detected and responded in the runtime. I do want to give an opportunity for people to understand you as a person as well. And this is usually called the fun section. And I've got three questions for you, man. Three straightforward. Uh, first one being, what do you spend most time on when you're not working on Kubernetes and contributing to Kubernetes or like Falco? What, what do you do uh, outside of all this? So beyond my podcast and I, you know, my children, obviously making sure I have two kids and, you know, and so just making sure that they're taking care of and take care of my wife and all of that fun stuff. I'm a musician. So I went to school, well, go this way, musician. Oh and, yeah, yeah, uh, right. Yeah. I went to school for music originally and I was fixing the Mac, Mac computers. And that's how I got my first like computer job in what? IT. And so, yeah. So like, you know, like that's kind of my, you know, my passion. So like the opener of my, my show, the play that we play is actually my band playing it live at CBGB's in New York. So really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, that, well, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad cloud native has musicians. Actually, you're the second person I know who at least who's come on the show who, who has a musician past. Have you got songs as well? You probably want to share an album or something. If you guys have released a few songs as well, where can people find some of your old band songs? Whenever you watch the popcast at popcast pop, you'll see the opener. That's that space pretty much there. I mean, like, again, it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm not one to like, I play live and stuff like that, but it's not something like, it's like, I know it's, this isn't my day job. Like, you know what I mean? Like this, my day job is this. So like, I'm not like looking to like sell an album or anything like that. So. All like, right. Like, no, no, I, I didn't music. mean it that way. Cause I think about, uh, we had a guest from capital one and he has a whole album that he had released on Spotify. And I wanted to support him, so we kind of got into that as well. Okay, there you go. I had no idea. Magno is used to be a DJ as well, so he wants to make a band. This is this is amazing. See, we have we have a guitarist and we have a DJ, so that'll be a very different kind of band. But sure, let's, let's maybe you can go down that path. We, right, we have a ton of musicians. That's, not, that's another thing. Is like I think musicians make amazing either developers, engineers in general, because that patience that they have, like there's a person, their name is Jace out there and, and Kuber, longtime Kubernetes contributor. One of the best saxophonists I've ever heard, like, like, and just brilliant, brilliant musician. So it's, it's awesome. And again, it, I just think I've, a lot of engineers and especially probably the person from Capital One, it's that discipline. You know, to be able to, it's just the same thing. It's repetition. And that's what makes a good musician. I think that's also what makes a good engineer as well. I, I Actually, that reminds me of another person, Tani Jenka. She used to have a band as well. She's come on the show as well. So if anyone wants to check out some of the past guests who are musicians, she used to actually have a band before she joined IT. Because people said, you seem to know this IT stuff. And she like, really? I mean, I just this is like everyday stuff. Like, no, this is definitely not an everyday stuff for a band person to know. That's how she got into IT and then got into cybersecurity. I've got one more question. Actually, two more questions. What is something that you're proud of but is not on your social media? Wow, that's a really good one. I would say, obviously, besides, you know, my kids, I, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of my kids. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm proud of the success of the, the podcast, you know, and and also we're launching something on the cloud native TV. It's uh, on CNCF Twitch. Wow. So we should, yeah, we should talk later. Anyway, yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah um, maybe we should talk later. There yeah. You go. So, and this is just, I'm executive producing that I'm loving it because we're putting together a, a group of just different shows in the various aspects of, you know, cloud native. So we're having like 
how do you contribute to a cloud native project? Every week, it'll be a different person from the project on and contributing to it. We're having a game show like Family Feud, like having the various parts of the CNCF kind of duke it out for like, you know, supremacy in the CNCF cup. You know, oh. we're having... Yeah, it's just, and you know, there's somebody like, there's somebody doing a one-on-one track, somebody doing how to do like certifications, you know, it's, and also we have uh, what I love again, talking about the inclusiveness and the diversity of CNCF. We have show talking about, you know, LGBTQ and, and people of color and how they, they rose above and being able to address, like being able to be huge contributors to what's, to the amazing thing that is in CNCF, because again, the diversity and, and inclusion is something the previous uh, general manager, his name was Dan Cohn. God bless his soul. He's very New Yorker as well. That was something that he he wanted. And, and, and that's what I think the CNCF and large strives for is diversity and inclusion. That's pretty awesome. Uh, and thanks for sharing that as well, man. I'm, I am definitely uh, looking forward to some, like he's looking, he's watching and participating in this. Just like, there's a wink right there, back, right, right back at you. Last question. What's your favorite cuisine or restaurant that you can share? Now, since New York is opening up, I'm assuming there's a few more restaurants, but if restaurant or favorite cuisine? Magno, it's not pineapple pizza. So first <laughs> off, I just a shout out. Because by the way, last year I did that. So to get to, to I promised everybody in Cloud Native that if I ate, if I had 2,000 followers and on Twitter, <laughs> which now it's we're up to 8,000, I would eat a pineapple pizza, a full pineapple pizza live. And so oh. we, did, we did that. This video out there, it's pretty, pretty heinous. So, oh my God. Um, okay. You've subjected but, yourself to a pineapple pizza. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, that it, has it, to be right it, up there. But you, I love it. I love that you used subjected. Sorry? I love the fact that you used subjected myself, which was, which was torture, but that's okay. Yeah. But I'm such a fan of world cuisine. So like, again, my father growing up, we owned 10 pizzerias. So it was pizzerias and restaurants. So I grew up in the pizza business. Right. And and so once I got out, I got a, I wanted to be able to like try different cuisine. So I love like Indian cuisine and Persian cuisine and Vietnamese and, and different things. So like, you know, it's, it's really dependent on it. Like being, again, going to different cities and trying even the local cities that you go to, like if I go to Seattle, you know, Oh, there's amazing salmon there or something like that. Or go to San Francisco crab and you know, those types of things. So it really depends on it. That's the hardest thing to tell an Italian what their favorite cuisine is. Cause you know, it's just, a, it's a tough thing, man. Especially being from Melbourne. There's a lot of Italians there, isn't there? It's just, yeah, yeah. Like heaps, man. Heaps. Uh, I think not enough, not, not, not enough Persians. I think we definitely have, I definitely want to try a lot more of Persian food, which I haven't been able to explore. I definitely look, look for some recommendation for that for someone. And if, if anyone has a recommendation of Persian food, I'll definitely take that. But I think we definitely have a massive Italian population. Uh, a lot of as a large African population as well. And Chinese, like I think Asian food is because like, we are so close to Asia as well. Like, mm -hmm. So much of it, man. But yeah. Uh, so look, Somebody told me like there's something called the chicken parma. And it's a specific type of chicken parma yeah. sandwich that's in Melbourne. Is this Wait, like, do you, you guys don't have chicken parma? No, we have chicken parma, but it's, it's very specific. He was like, not New York. You know, like my buddy who was from Melbourne. He was like, nope, not as good. Not as good as in Melbourne. This is that was that's way better. Wait, so is your chicken parm the same as the chicken schnitzel with some sauce on top? Well, it's like a, a deep fried chicken schnitzel. Yeah, it's the same concept, but they were saying the bread is different. And I'm like, oh. and this was like five years ago, I heard this. And I'm like, right, and, and right. To, to this I, day. I'd love to uh, come and try. I mean, it, it definitely is like a, it's like a very popular thing in any pub, pub you walk into. I, I do want to at least... I'll leave with this though, with folks who want to reach out to you and talk more about runtime, threat detection response, where can they reach you? Fantastic question. So we're on Kubernetes Slack. There's a Falco channel there. So if you go to Kubernetes Slack or Falco, also part of tag security, tag security is all, you know, Magnus part of it as well. And again, excellent place. If you want to understand, they, they wrote a best practices with guidelines document. It's if you go to CNCF Slack, there's a, a tag tag dash security channel fantastic and again if you just want to get your feet wet ask those questions because again it's about that's what i love about the cncf it's a community that's inclusive come in ask those questions because guess what we all were beginners i mentioned that story earlier about joe beta we all were those beginners you go in there magno's a, a tremendous help andres vega you know brandon lum Emily Fox, all the people that are in that group all want to help you be more secure. Also, your expertise, Roxanne, 
that question you had about the false positive. Come in the channel and help out. Come in, contribute, tell us what's wrong. Tell us how we can help it. If you had this experience, it's awesome to be able to share it. Oh, and that's nice. my spiel. I, that's, that's, and you still don't mention where people can reach out to you. So tag security, but you're specific. To, are you more on Twitter or LinkedIn? Where, where do you hang out more? Either of those. So yeah, so I'm Dan Pop NYC or at Popcast, P-O-P-C-A-S-T, Pop for the show and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm on either of those, you know, giving my unique impressions on the world in, in oh. uh, either of those on Twitter. Perfect. And I think I've got my, my friend here, uh, my new friend here, Roxanne's going to tell me a few Persian restaurants as well. So Roxanne, you're going to be my, my next best friend now. <laughs> so thanks for that. Pop is everywhere. Magno definitely loves you as well, man. So thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate this. And I know it was last minute as well. So thanks so much for taking, spending time as well. And uh, Ashish, I, am I, I am a big fan of yours, man. I really think you I appreciate you, that, you man. I appreciate work, that. Man. And, no no and competition. I, I no. As long as you're number of episodes behind me, I don't really care. <laughs> Now we're, we're brothers. We're brothers. Man. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> totally, man. I, I, I think I, I, I give you that much. I totally enjoyed the passion that you bring to the show, man. I think it, it's like, I, 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 if I were to kind of like put like a scale, you, you're definitely right, right up there for passion, man. And I, as it's all the 71 episodes that I or 72nd one, this one, I definitely feel your passion level is right up there. You can just feel it coming through the like the um, awesome mic that you have as well, as you spoke about offline. So it's like, it's like meant to be, but I, I really appreciate you came over, man. So thanks so much for coming in. And uh, we, we should definitely come, but like do some crossover more like on the Twitch TV as well. You have a spot anytime you want. Let's talk. Awesome. All right. Thanks, man. And for everyone else, feel free to subscribe to the channel if you like what you're hearing. And we'll talk to you next weekend. Thanks so much for coming in. See ya. Thank you for listening to that episode of Cloud Security Podcast. If you found some new information from that episode, we would appreciate if you share it with others. Share it with us as well if you have any good feedback or good learnings from the episode. We are on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you don't find us there, you can always go on our website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv to listen to the latest episode. We appreciate your support in helping us grow. It helps us bring more guests. It helps us support the channel. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and talk to you on the next episode.